Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Hitman Chronicles. This is your host, Robert Silva, along with my co-host, Sebastian. As today, we go back almost 27 years to the date, July 11th, 1994, in one of, most definitely one of the five greatest matches in the history of Monday Night Raw. Brett. The Hitman Hart defending his World Wrestling Federation Championship against the one, two, three. Seb, how you doing? And where were you at this point in time when this match was about to take place between the Hitman and the one, two, three kid? I am good. And at this time, I would have been 13. I just found out uh, today when I was looking some information up. This match actually took place on Canada Day, which was uh, perfect for Brett, and they aired it on the 11th. So back then, I would have been like almost at my peak of wrestling fandom, my Bret Hart fandom. Everything was just coming up Brett at that point in life, and everybody in the schoolyard wanted to be Brett. Everybody thought he was the absolute man back then, and you know, you look for your uh, local national heroes and Brett was definitely a Canadian hero at this point. So hey, it was, quick, uh, quick question. Um where were they showing Raw in Toronto at this point in time back in ninety four? So at this point, um it would have been I believe the new VR, which used to be called CKVR. And I think that they would have had the rights in nineteen ninety four. And they were actually the first station to play the uh, Raptors games too. So that would have been a year after this, they would have started airing the Raptors um, back in their Damon Stoudemire's on to back days. And so they were trying to build up the network and they built it around uh, Raptors and they built it around Raw. And so when you had uh, all the promos, they would say the new VR, very Raw, very Raptors. Okay. And so I think that that would have been where it was airing. But actually, I think it was a Barry station too. I don't even think it was a proper Toronto station. But they were trying to build up as uh, as the big local spot. What what station were carrying the Blue Jays? Uh, it would have been CFTO at the time, which is uh, CTV, so the Toronto affiliate for it. So that was coming off the back to back World Series and then right, the, the right, big strike right. in nineteen ninety four. This is so. uh this is about man almost thirty almost a month to the day after that after this match aired. Um, First, second week of August, the season was shut down. The lockout was not a strike. The lockout, the owners locked yeah. out the players. See, yeah, this true. is the owners did not like where the negotiations were going, and they just decided we're locking the players out. People blame the players. They were negotiating in good faith, not to get off the subject of wrestling, but and that destroyed baseball in Montreal because Montreal had the best record in baseball at the time. Toronto was coming off back-to-back world championships, and it took Toronto fans years to come back to the game. I mean, for years, years, the Toronto franchise suffered, and Montreal, they lost their franchise. So, yeah, uh, so uh, this is 30 days before the lockout occurred that baseball took a while. It was the steroids that brought back baseball in America, but it never fully came back to Toronto till the 21st century and never came back to Montreal. Now, at this point in time, Bret Hart had been champion now. We, we, the last the last show we covered is uh, WrestleMania 
his WrestleMania 10 victory over Yokozuna. So it's been a little bit more than two months since he's been champion, and he's been defending the title all around the country, mostly against Yokozuna in immediate rematches. And now he takes on the one, two, three kid who by virtue of a win two weeks prior on Raw over Nikolai Volkov got this title shot and why they booked 75-year-old Nikolai Volkov <laughs> to possibly get him. I'm sure Brett could have gotten a decent match out of Nikolai. By the way, Seb, you, you uh, DM me yesterday saying 1994 Brett was so good. The only year he looked better that was the 97 Brett. 94 Brett was special. Only 97 Brett was better. That's the type of run Brett was on. From 91 when he beats uh when he beats Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning for the IC title at Madison Square Garden until the screw job November of 97. There's not a better wrestler in the United States in North America. Than Brett Hitman Hart in those six years. No, definitely not. Nobody's on his level back then. Not Sean, and not anybody. Not nobody, Flair, nobody. Nobody. Uh, you would have, I'd have Sean two and Flair three. But remember, this is Flair past his prime. And this is uh, Sean in between bouts of alcoholism, drug addiction, drug addiction, and um, uh, his feminine ways. Uh, bitching and moaning. <laughs> I don't want to drop the bell. I'm going home. Oh, my knee, my knee. I lost my smile. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that at a later date. One, two, three, kid was coming off a great 1993 where he was first a jobber to the stars, and then Razor Ramon put him over on a Monday Night Raw match, and the fans were into the kid screaming one, two, three, one, two, three, and then. Surprisingly, and I got to give Ramon credit, um, and they became good friends. Ramon, uh, Scott Hall, Scott Hall put one, two, three kid over, and then Ted DiBiase put the one, two, three kid over. And so, this is how you book an underdog, and this is how you make him a star. He gets huge wins over two of the biggest WWF heels at the time, and it helped facilitate Razor Ramon's babyface turn. As he became one, two, three's kids, sort of like big brother bodyguard from, from the big guys picking on uh, the very skinny and, and not so short. He's six foot one, but he's very slim. And Ramon looks much bigger than him because uh, Scott Hall is a legit six five. And so that starts the Razor Ramon one, two, three kid friendship. And now we go into this match by virtue of his win over. As I just mentioned, the 75-year-old Nikolai Volkov, this great face versus face match. Now, I didn't have cable at the time. I saw this match the the following Saturday. My friend had taped. My friend used to tape Raw for me, and and my buddy was like, oh, "Rob, you gotta watch this. You gotta watch this." So I got the tape for him on Saturday, and um, I played it on my VCR, and I was just. Amazed, and by the way, Jim Ross and Randy Savage, this might have been the greatest match these two ever commentated together. Randy was hyped for this match throughout the entire match, and JR was JR. Absolutely, peak of those two. 
Just um, a fun fact, because you're mentioning Nikolai Volkov. He was trained by Stu Hart, so that would have been a, a cool match if he had taken on Brett as well. And, and he, he would have got, gotten a decent match out of, of Volkov, who by this point had no business being in the ring. No, way past his prime at this point. All right, now... And, I, I, I was trying to. I, I saw something here about. Where is this? Where is this? Oh, continue talking. I'm looking up. I'm looking yeah, so up. Go ahead. One thing about the commentary, because you mentioned Macho Man uh, and Jim Ross being on fire. Um, I just found out today that there's an alternate track commentary for this by Gorilla Monsoon and Stan Lane. And uh, I wasn't able to track it down, but apparently it's like the worst. No, and that's, uh, that's like the polar opposite jokes about the match. Oh, absolutely! Because this whole match, as we go through it, Macho Man is putting over Brett, and this is right after because um, Brett and Macho Man had several matches. They never had a full-on proper feud in their primes, which was too bad. But Macho Man had just faced Brett in Japan here. I remember I, I sent you this match like last I, year. I have that. I have that match on a on a DVD on a on yeah. a DVD, and it, it's horrible quality. But if you could just look past it, it was a very good match. <laughs> yeah, and this was uh, just shortly after that. You can tell Macho Man just by hearing him talk in this match. You really believe that he thinks that Brett's the best in the world at this time. And, and well, rec- uh, uh, greatness recognizes greatness, and he was, and he was rooting for one, two, three kid, and just tremendous commentating by both men. And I found what I was looking for. As you know, I always go back on the on the show when I go back and take ex- excerpts out of Bret Hart's incredible biography, "My Real Life in the Cartoon World of Wrestling," and on page three hundred and fifty-one. He talks about how he surprisingly runs into Vince McMahon. The reason Vince is not on commentary right now is because he's still on trial for the steroid distribution distribution um, allegations. And so, page 351 of the Hitman book, he goes, With Vince's trial only days away, we weren't expecting him to be at the Bushkill taping. That's where the, the, the match occurred in Bushkill. So we were surprised when he walked in, his neck in a soft brace following recent surgery. I was about to take on the one, two, three kid who was pacing around nervously. It was a big match for him, but I also knew it was important to someone else, a 10-year-old named Jason, pale and thin, clutching a hitman teddy bear under his arm. Even cancer couldn't take away his smile as I draped the, bait over, as I draped the belt over his narrow shoulders. When I told him I'd dedicate my match to him, he excitedly coached me to beat Kid, but not to beat him too bad. <laughs> we posed for pictures and I signed his shades. I've been told I'd been told that Jason wasn't expected to see next week. When I said goodbye to him, he hugged me tight. Later I showed a Polaroid photo of him to the kid as an as an exercise in keeping our perspective. Well so I just remembered this um and and if my memory doesn't if my memory doesn't fail me, I believe the young boy did die ten to fourteen days later. All right, so uh let's go to the beginning of the match. They do the handshake and um Seb, take it from here. So 
to start off right away, um, you're saying Macho Man putting this thing over. Uh, my favorite line going because Macho Man has, uh, you know, I'd, I'd say he's like my number two of all time. So just hearing him when he's hyped up like this, um, he goes, if this match lives up to 100 to expectations, not going to stop the waste. I guarantee you <laughs> one thing, hang on to the edge of your seat because we're going on a magic carpet ride. And Macho Man had a way of making stuff like that sound cool. Like him and The Rock could take any line, I think. Yes. I think that those are the two guys that you yes. make them say anything. And he's like, I, I want to be that guy. <laughs> and so, you, you know, you're about to take the magic carpet ride with these guys. Uh, Brett comes out, massive pop. Uh, and this place was, you mentioned Bushkill. I just found out today that's actually a resort. Um, and Sean Waltman had talked about the fact that instead of going into a dressing room, they had like the suites at the resort and that's where they got dressed. Um, so it was a very different kind of crowd there, but Brett just with the massive pop coming out, um, they did the little pyro, which was 1994 standards, like a couple fireworks. Um, and then you get Jim Neidhart and Owen Hart going to the ring on the ring apron. And they tease throughout the match, what's going to happen? Are these two going to interfere? Uh, what's going to happen with them? Owen Hart's just beat Brett at WrestleMania. Um, they're about to have uh, a big match coming up in August. And Owen has just really embraced his role here. Just one King of the Ring uh, the month prior to this. Um, he's still called the Rocket, but now he's also the King of Hearts. He's embrace this character and he's just on fire here if you look back at 1994 and just the best things happening in wrestling Owen was amazing here and he's got this he's got this way of making me laugh at least all the time and he says that Brett's a scaredy cat yeah he's a scaredy scaredy cat Brett's a scaredy cat (laughs) huge pop and I don't even like just the way that Owen says it too just amazing and this is when they're establishing Brett as the fightingest champion of all time. And the guy will take on all comers. And yes. Owen just calls him a scaredy cat. And they get ejected from ringside. But you feel the constant threat that any moment they might come out. So you've got that being teased early on in the match, too. Um, so in terms of the one, two, three kid, back in this era, you know, as, as you mentioned, he'd beaten... Uh, Ted DiBiase, beaten Razor Ramon, uh, he'd beaten Nikolai Volkov. He wasn't quite as at his peak in popularity. He wasn't as big then as he was uh, the year before. But he was still a very uh, popular face um, with all the fans and the kids. And there was always the thought that this guy could pull the ops off at any time. So this was a really interesting matchup that they put together because you have a face versus face, which wasn't super common. You had a big title match on Raw, which isn't super common. And, um, you know, you have Brett defending his title against a guy that, you know, can he possibly pull this upset? So there's a lot of that intrigue going on to start off, plus the fact that you might think no one wants to cost Brett the title. And this is legitimately the biggest match um, of the one, two, three kid's career at this point. And even after the fact, he's called it the best match of his career. So, If you think about it, Seb, this was the biggest match of his career. Even with what he did in the NWO and later on as X-Pac with DX, 
while he was in a lot of high-profile matches, never won with the world title where he's the main focus. Because in DX and NWO, he was always third, fourth, fifth banana. Here, this is his spotlight. He's not He's not taking a shadow. He's not taking a backseat to uh, Triple H or, or Kevin Nash or Scott Hall or, or Shawn Michaels. No, this is him showcased on his own. So I agree with you. This is the single biggest match of his entire career. Yeah, and he's even the one guy from NWO and DX that always got along with Brett. You know, Brett had problems, obviously. Oh, Brett, Brett, Brett loved Sean. Brett loved Sean Waltman. That's the one yeah. Sean he got along with. Uh, everybody, <laughs> even Jim Cornette, when remember they did the whole curtain call thing at when when um Kevin and Scott were leaving to go to WCW. There was a there was a match at the Garden where all of them in Triple H. Broke kayfabe and greeted the and and and, and rose put their hands on it. was called the uh what they called the curtain call the curtain call incident at the garden and you know um uh one two three kid was fired behind that shit and um he wound up in he wound up in WCW what uh what Cornette said was you know he was just following his friends um uh, but he never had it while he hated what Triple H and the other guys did. He didn't fault Sean because Sean was the best out of the whole bunch. So for this match, huge match for the kid. Um, He looks a little nervous at the start, I think. Um, Him and Brett shake hands. Was it Ross or Savage that goes, look, he's breathing hard. Right at the beginning, he takes a long, he takes a deep breath. Was that Ross or Savage that that notices said that? Which <laughs> great observation by the announcer team. Yeah, and he was um, after that. I think that you can see how settled he gets because after they have uh, handshake, there's a call or an elbow tie up, and you really don't get the feeling for the rest of the match. At least I don't that he doesn't belong in there. He just it, it feels right that he's in this main event against Brett. So I think that he settles right down at that point. Um, so first move in the entire match, kid with an arm drag, and Brett doesn't get nearly enough credit for his facials. Brett gives like <laughs> such a perfect face here where he's like, wow, this kid's got something. And he just, the, the look that he gives, he doesn't give like a wink and a nod to the camera. He gives us a look almost to himself and you can, you know, just bear witness to it. And it's just one of those little touches that Brett always brings to his matches where he's like, this kid's got something. So you know that Brett right away thinks, all right, I've got a challenge on my hands here. Um, there's a Roman knuckle lock, the great Hulk Hogan move um, from back in the day. Brett breaks free. It's an arm bar, but then kid reverses and grabs a wrist lock. So the start of this match, you'll see that the kid is the aggressor. And as a match goes on, the roles very, very diff- are very, very different in the match. Um, so Brett uh, comes back with a body slam, kid with a nip up. Macho Man's starting to really get into this match right now. He's getting very impressed with everything. Um, collar and elbow tie up. Kid gets a headlock and then goes into a hammer lock. And 
from here, it's it's part of the early story of the match that Kid is going toe to toe with Brett in a Brett style match, and he's keeping up with Brett. Um, you know, little things like uh, reversals and things that you'd expect out of Brett. Um, Kid's keeping it a little more grounded to start off. Um, then Brett with a snapmare, but the kid maintains control and Brett gives a second facial in the match where he gives a look like the kid's got something. And here you're starting to think, well, Brett's going to turn it a little bit more into high gear and we're still early on in the match. Uh, Brett with the Irish whip and the back elbow and snapmare into a headlock for Brett. So already here, we're seeing that Brett's trying to slow the kid down just a little bit for the match and the kid is very determined and very game and i think that the story of this match here because you've got the face versus face and we've covered a lot of uh, brett stuff because brett can pull off a face versus face match you can mm-hmm. pull off a face versus heel match or heel mm-hmm. versus heel match here you get the sense that brett really wants the people to get behind the kid they re- he really wants him to think that the kid's going to win because Brett is Teflon here. He's so over. It's ridiculous. And he knows that he can give the kid a lot. Um, so you're starting to see here that Brett's got a little more subtle aggression here. Real quick, this yeah. was a perfect example of what Dory Funk Jr., Jack Briscoe, later on Ric Flair, would do as a traveling NWA world champion. They would go into the territory, whether it was Florida or world class or Memphis, and they would face the top babyface of that promotion. And their job was to, because they're going to come out, they're going to come away with the title, irregardless of the result. They're going to be the champion at the end of the night. But Briscoe, Funk, both Funk, Dory and Terry, and Flair's job was to put the other guy over even when they're beating that guy and they would be a subtle heel. And that's what Bret Hart's goal and objection in this match was. He, you knew he was going to win the match, but can you make the fans on television and the arena think that, Hey, maybe he can win this match. And when it's all said and done, does Bret make the one, two, three kids stronger than before the match begins? That's, Brett's objection right objective right here to make the one two three kid better in the eyes of the fans after this match is over absolutely and you can start to feel the tide shift a little bit would have been interesting if it was a bit of a different crowd too but crowd was still getting into it here uh so here's the aggression part of the match because kid throws Brett to the ropes Brett knocks him down with the shoulder block. And then uh, Kid hits a nice monkey flip. And uh, he goes for it's sort of a reverse enziguri. I don't even know. I'm pulling a Jim Ross here. Um, he grabs uh, Kid's foot and he hits the reverse enziguri almost back kick, knocking Brett down. Mm-hmm. And then Kid hits another spin kick and it knocks Brett out of the ring. Um, this part is important because we hit a commercial break and it's the first commercial break of the match. 
Uh, and sometimes matches go to commercial break back in this era, but this is the first of two commercial breaks that they have in this match. Right, right. Uh, so when they're back from break, uh, Kid has an arm bar on Brett. Um, and this is where Macho Man really um, starts noticing that the kid is playing Hitman's game. He said, um, but he's doing good, so who can knock him? And really giving that kind of compliment to, to an underdog like Kid against the champ, um, saying he's going toe-to-toe with the champion, or like you're talking about with the um, flares of past. When you can go toe-to-toe, when you can do a Broadway or we can really impress the champion, then you've really done something. Yep. Um, so an Irish whip and Brett catches Kid with the knee. Uh, and then he starts booting him to the abdomen. This so, is this is Brett being a subtle heel, like a Flair, Briscoe, or Funk would do in the past. While not going full heel, he's being more aggressive in order to rough up the challenger and try to gain any advantage he can as the challenger has the fans on their side. At this point in time, remember when the match started, Seb, you mentioned the fans were behind Brett. Now... The fans are beginning to root more for the one, two, three kid. Absolutely. And even a little move like the kids crawling away and Brett kicks him in the ribs, which is totally legal. And Jim mm-hmm. Ross even chimes in of how the move is legal. But when Ross does that, you're like, it's legal, but it's uh it's a heel move. A jerk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so Brett hits the scoop Sam and a leg drop. Um now, Brett is firmly in control here, and one of my favorite um, just hidden lines of commentary is Brett hits the European uppercut, and Savage said, what an uplifting feeling that was for the kid. And, <laughs> uh, so he's hitting him with these lifters. Um, Brett knees the kid in the face, and here Waltman is just selling like you're feeling this he's a little bit in over his head here and you're like okay well this is the outcome of the match now because brett's in firm control he's right now the one two three kid is acting like a prime ricky morton in that he's selling as the undersized baby face getting his ass kicked but the fans are rooting for this undersized baby face to try and come back absolutely and you're feeling uh, there's very few people in the business now that can sell like the kid did back then. Exactly. But he's just he's just selling so well for Brett. And um, and this is a time, too, where Brett has, you know, a lot of larger uh, challengers. But then he's got guys like uh, Owen and uh, Kid and Sean that, you know, he can sort of go size with and, and move for move. So. When he's got a little bit of size on kid, you know, he's playing a little bit of the bigger man in the match, too. Um, now, Brett hits uh, an elbow to the back of kid's head, another sort of subtle heel move, um, and another elbow uh, as kid's trying to get away. Um, then Brett hits the shake, rattle, and roll. And there's two moves that Brett does in this match that you don't see a lot of. He hits that, the swinging neckbreaker. Later on, he also hits a DDT. Yeah, so you know what? When he did that DDT, Seb, when he did that yeah. DDT, I was like, "What's the last?" <laughs> I don't remember seeing Brett do that. And this right here is a slap in the face of those who said every Brett match looked 
the same. In this match, you don't see the five moves of doom. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> he's, he's pulling other stuff out in this match, and it's one of the best matches of his career. So, you know, uh, anybody judging him on that is, is not seeing enough Brett stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brett uh, back with the chin lock being so aggressive here and it's just beautiful to watch how he's like just one of the best ever at being um, at any face versus face type matchup um, he drives kids head into the turnbuckle and he starts kicking him more hits another uppercut uh, and then he throws kid hard into the corner and you know kid is just acting dead here he's struggling to get up um, can't really move Brett picks him up. He whips him to the ropes. Then Kid hits the crossbody. Such a baby face move. Gets the two count. Um, you know, starts. You start to get a little bit of hope. And then Brett with a headbutt to knock him back down. Um, Kid goes up and over uh, in the corner at this point for the roll up. And this is where Brett pulls uh, the Owen move. He sits down. He doesn't yes. cradle the legs, yes. but yes. it's a callback sort of to his WrestleMania, but he only gets a two on here. And just the action at this point is when you watch this match, it's just thing after thing, but it all, it all has a lot of meaning to it. So there's not, uh, you know, the complaint with today's wrestling is that there's uh, a lot of zip, but not a lot of. There's a lot of sizzle, not a lot of steak. Because this match you, has you and, don't have the ring psychology that these two gentlemen are exhibiting in this match. Are you saying the young bucks are terrible? Um, so, kid, <laughs> kid goes off the ropes, uh, and he goes for a crucifix, and Brett blocks it, and then he gets the cover one, two, three. You know, kid's foot is on the bottom rope, and Brett's the babyface fighting champion. So, real controversy with the ending here. Uh, Earl Hebner misses the call. It's the only bad call he's ever made in a Brett match. Brett starts arguing with Hebner <laughs> here, and this, this, this now, now, real quick, Seb, he was acting the subtle heel, but by him pointing to the referee that. One, two, three, kid's foot is on the rope. He proves, no, he's not turning heel. He's the ultimate baby face. Because Savage is like, what are you doing, Brett? Just take the victory. Go. If that was me, I'd be in the shower already, getting ready to go out and hang out. <laughs> this, this was great because you never see this in a match. You never see a Flair or the Funk Brothers or Briscoe back when they took on a when they were the traveling NWA world champion, they get the win, they grab the belt, and they go back to the locker room. They they're not they they're not waiting for anything. But no, Brett's pointing to the ropes, and another referee comes in. That's Tim White, I believe, Andre's buddy, comes in the ring, and finally Howard Finkel makes the announcement that the the that one two three kids foot was on the rope. And that the match will resume. Yeah. And at this point in the match, um, this is where they go to the second commercial break. Um, so already you've got uh, it's very long. I didn't like I didn't like that break. commercial break, Seb, because you saw uh, one, two, three kid on his hands and knees looking like he was going to do something. And then they went to the commercial break. 
they showed what happened, but it was I, it's the only negative part of this match. I wish they would have waited until he did that, then do something, then go to the commercial break. Oh, absolutely! Especially because this was a tape match, they they could have cut it differently. They could have they could have fixed it, right? Right. Yeah, and the uh, fun thing is that um, the kid, the movie actually hits. It's the one that made famous by Owen, where he hits uh, his feet under your armpits and he rolls you up. Sean used it to beat Y two J at WrestleMania nineteen. Right. Um, right. So it's a very meaningful kind of move because it's a heart move and it's something that Owen had used before. So it would have been better storytelling if they had just waited for that. But you still got to see it, and he gets the the two on Brett when Brett wasn't quite expecting it. Um, also, when they do that picture in picture, you kind of miss. But um, Brett pulls off another move. He goes full European here and he hits the double underhook suplex, and that's a move that you don't see Brett pull off. That's a, that's so. a third move you never see yeah. Brett use. Is he uh, the greats? Can have great matches using different styles. You did this was not a typical Brett match. What he did was he adjusted to his opponent. Those five moves of Doom, I think, look work better on bigger guys. Um, he just lands one of those and he should be able to pin one, two, three kids. So no, he adjusts his style to uh Sean Waltman's uh, way of working. Yeah. Um at this point, the, the crowd is super into it. Um, you know, they're wanting the kid to come back, but Brett has him in a sleeper. Uh, he's got the arm down twice, but then he comes back and kid throws Brett into the ropes and he hits a backslide for the two. Uh, one thing that I always appreciate about Brett matches is the way that they can end with any type of pinning combination. and it's At any point in so time, good. a pin could happen at any point in time out of nowhere. Absolutely. And you see it, and you saw it in the Owen match that we talked about last time. Um, and here you just have all these pinning attempts and you never know because it's a Brett match. So a small package could end it. Um, anything could end the match at any time here. Um, now, Brett pops up, elbows kid in the back of the head again. Um, hits another leg drop, and here he smacks Kid in the back of the head, another subtle heel move, where he's just like stay down Kid almost. Um, and he, this is where he hits that rare DDT. Um, and it was pretty nice DDT as well. He could have added it to more matches, but he really didn't need to. Uh, hit gets the two count with that, and then Brett gets the scoop slam. Um, here Brett goes uh, for one of his big moves, but uh, goes to the second turnbuckle. The kid gets his foot up. and That was Brett perfect right timing. That was perfect, perfect timing. timing. And it turned the match around because for the first time in the match, the one, two, three kid is on offense and begins to dominate. Up until that, he puts his foot up and a Brett runs into it. It's been 90% Brett. And, and it was great, too, because the way the kid was selling, um, and you knew that Brett was starting to get a little frustrated because he just can't put him away. Um, now, here, Brett misses with a clothesline, and Kid nails him with a spin kick. And this was also good timing just by happenstance because Jim Ross talks about Kid not being able to use his kicks much in the match, and then he starts uh, unloading some here. Uh, kid with a twisting high cross body for the two. And... 
another move that I don't remember ever seeing unless he pulls it off against Billy Kidman. Um, Kid hits a jackknife powerbomb, and Ross even says, out of Diesel's playbook. Um, yes, and, yes, right. And here, this is just a month after King of the Ring where Brett faced Diesel um, in uh, not their best match. But uh, here, he just hits that, that powerbomb, so you're thinking the kid's got a little bit of pop still. Um, and then he hits the big leg drop off the top, and kid's leg drop is beautiful. Like, Love his leg drop because he's got long, skinny legs. Yeah, Waltman has long, skinny legs, so when he does that leg drop off the top rope, he's covering a lot of, a lot of ground, and it looks very impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And I think his legs are longer than his torso. He, <laughs> he's, he, he's mostly legs. <laughs> and he's always got the educated feet, and Jim yes. Ross never said what school he went to. So. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what school that those educated feet went to. I know it was at OU. I would have saw him. <laughs> Uh, so the uh, kid knocks Brett uh, to the outside, and here in uh, a little bit of a weird move, he goes. Kid goes for the cannonball off the top to the outside. Uh, he he's lucky. He's lucky. He's lucky. Brett caught him and landed him with the. I, I guess it was a reverse power slam or whatever. Because if Brett doesn't catch him. He really could have hurt himself on that move. Absolutely. He overshot by a bit. So, yeah. Um, but uh, he goes and they're both down. JR calls it a moonsault, which was uh, people talking about today's Jim Ross getting moves wrong. Well, here in 1994, um, it's definitely. But uh, they did a, later on in the match, one, two, three kid does a similar move and he calls it a moonsault again coming off the top yeah. rope. Yeah, he calls it when he gets. It's, more, he gets it's a cannonball, it's not a moonsault. Because yeah, remember, absolutely. he does it again, uh, you know, a few moments later. Yeah, and when they go back in the ring, um, this is when Brett goes for the first sharpshooter. Um, but he's too close to the ropes, and so Kid grabs the ropes right away before he gets fully put in the move. Um, Brett with another uppercut, so he hits a ton of those uppercuts in this match. Um, and this is where Brett goes for uh, Superflex, probably the maybe the best near fall in the match because Brett is known for the superplexes, had a lot of superplexes in his career. But here Kid blocks it and reverses it into a high cross body for the two. Shades of Ricky Steamboat. Steamboat used to do that when someone would try to suplex him off the top rope. He'd reverse it into a high cross body block. Man, perfectly done by Waltman. And when you watch Sean Waltman, one, two, three, Kid, you could see the influences of Dynamite Kid and Ricky Steamboat in his style. Yeah, actually, I never even thought about Dynamite yeah. Kid, but you're right. Yeah. Um, now here, um, after that two-count Brett Bulldog into the corner, and I, I still don't, I've listened to this line multiple times because I had to rewind it, and I still don't quite know what it means. Um, but Jim Ross is all the way from the Calgary Stampede. That was great. That was a great call. Line. He said he's going all the way to the Calgary Stampede with that with that bulldog. <laughs> <laughs> and this would have been went, around the he went three the... he went three quarters of the ring with that shit. He really he did. <laughs> um, and that would have been around the start of uh, Stampede Week because uh, July, you know, right? Yeah, it's July, so it would have been right there. Um, 
now Brett goes to the top um, rope here, and he suffers the fate of uh, all the guys who go to the top uh, and don't have any top rope moves. He gets thrown off the top by the kid. Uh, and then, then that's when the kid does the cannonball after that, right? The kid does... Oh, I think I missed the cannonball because he he done the cannonball before. You're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before when he does the cannonball into the ring, that's when Ross called it yeah. insult for the second yeah. time. Yeah. But this is where he goes for the drop kick, uh, and this is where Brett catches him from the drop kick. Yes. And, and this is where the um, the sharpshooter out of nowhere can happen. It's a callback it to off. when he beat Perfect, where he yeah. just cat he. He, cap, he he turns it around, puts him in the sharpshooter, and Kid is fighting it. The fans are behind Kid 1,000%, but Kid taps out, and brilliantly, and I don't think this was planned, Jim Ross and Macho Man Savage get up and give both men a standing ovation, and Macho Man's like, this is the greatest match I've ever seen! <laughs> And Jim Ross like, that is one of the greatest matches I've ever called in my career. Just tremendous. Them doing that added even more to this incredible, incredible match between two great professionals. Sensational. Man, tremendous. And Seb, 1994, Brett is on a roll. You had his great match with Owen at uh, WrestleMania. You've got this match in July, and next time on the program, we will be talking about one of the greatest cage matches in the history of the WWF that didn't have blood. His SummerSlam match with Owen Hart. Absolutely, and just the the run that he goes on, even from, if you look at uh, the Meltzer ratings here, um, he should have had five in the Owen match, this one I think was four and a half, and then we'll talk about uh, the next Owen match, the cage match. All right, real quick from the from the from the book. Once again, we go to uh, page three hundred and fifty-one from Bret Hart's autobiography. The enthusiastic small town crowd knew there was little chance that the one, two, three could could take the belt from me. I rock kid with some of the best lifters I've ever thrown. Those uppercuts you were talking about. And he took them beautifully. After only a few minutes, the crowd was in awe, and they kept cheering like crazy. Right up until Kid climbed to the top turnbuckle and went for a drop kick. I caught his feet in midair and stepped into the sharpshooter. He tapped out instantly, and I was crouched down beside him, helping him as the crowd applauded both of us. This was the true art of wrestling. No cheering boo signs needed here. When the match was over... Vince smiled and thanked me for being the hardest working wrestler in the business. And Jim, Jim Ross, was stunned to hear, hear him. Jim was only starting to realize that I wasn't just one of the top guys. I was the top guy. Unfortunately, this was one of Jim Ross's last matches for about a year as he was fired. Soon after, um, Maybe two, maybe less than two weeks after this match. It's crazy to think about how... Uh, I didn't understand that. Jim Ross was fired. He was fired. What happened was uh, McMahon was acquitted, and he came back, and 
he told Jim Ross, we don't need you anymore. And Jim Ross, uh, a few weeks later, would be in Smoky Mountain Wrestling announcing for Jim Cornette at uh, Sent Off the Dolly he was making with the WWF. Uh, Cornette loved Ross. They're, they've been great friends for years. Their friendship has been like 40 years now. And he gave, he couldn't pay. Of course, he couldn't pay Ross what, what uh, McMahon was paying him. But he gave Ross a job. Because WCW didn't want anything to do with Ross with the way Ross left the year before. So uh, kudos to Cornette for hiring Ross. I did not understand why McMahon fired Jim Ross at that point in time. He'd bring him back a year later, but this was a disgrace. One of the many falling outs there. So that puts the chapter... On this episode, that ends the chapter, that puts it to a close. We'll be back next month, right around the anniversary date of SummerSlam 1994, when we had the incredible cage match, Bret Hart defending his World Wrestling Federation title against Owen Hart, the main event at SummerSlam, which had an incredible beginning, incredible end, and the Aftermatch, the 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 the, the blow up between both sides of the family made the, that match even better. As we see the debut of Davy Boy Smith, who had just left WCW. Gonna be fun one to talk about. Definitely a lot of memories of that one. All right, all right, uh, Seb. Thanks for th- thanks once again for bringing a great detail of the match to the fans out there. Our listeners, we'll be back next month. We will see you guys next month.